Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our series, Wisdom for Life, a study on Proverbs. For more information about CBC, go to the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, um, we have a a nation and a world that is broken, and uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, and its end is destruction and death, and they're running headlong towards it as we just love ourselves and love our sin. And uh, Lord, we have hope in Christ. We have the solution to um, sin, and it's your son, and it's his substitutionary death, and it's his resurrection, and, and it's eternal life in him. And I pray as a church, we would, not, we would not react in a way that is unkind or unloving or that, that brings your name um, in any way in, in just uh, disregarding it or, or just dragging it through the mug, Lord. I pray for us that we would love well, that we would hold fast the truth, but we would love well. I pray as we talk about a, a challenging subject, one that we all face this morning, just just like you did in the first service last night, uh, Lord, I ask that you please would help me by your spirit to, to be clear, uh, that it would not be my words, that you would be speaking through a broken, sinful person, but yet so that Christ is exalted and so that your church is built up. We want to be changed, Lord, and we know that that's not something we can do on our own. Your spirit must work, and I, I just ask that he would right now, so that Christ is exalted, so that he is praised, and so that your church grows uh, and, and more people hear about you. It's in your name we pray for your reputation, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. We've been in a series the last couple of weeks. We're about halfway through it on the Proverbs. We called it Wisdom for Life. It's a little bit different for us. We usually work our way through a book of the Bible. Um, but for this one, we're, we're kind of just taking a few Proverbs and looking topically at what the Proverbs say about what does it look like to live skillfully, in essence? Uh, what does wisdom for life look like? And where we've been so far, we started with the fear of the Lord as the beginning. You want to you be wise? It starts with the fear of the Lord. And then we kind of moved from there. We looked at uh, friendship, and for lack of friends, you perish, and for the wrong type of friends, you perish. We looked at the foolishness of pride and, and the wisdom of humility. Last week, we talked about work and how you're created to work, and it's good, and it's a reflection of God, and, and, and being a sluggard. Is, is being foolish, right? And there's all sorts of things you guys can go back and listen to. Today, we're gonna come to, we come to a topic. I have finally come to something that I'm an expert on, all right? This is my sweet spot, y'all, all right? So I am speaking from expertise on today's topic, and so are many of you. Uh, and, and one of the things is, when you study something like the topic we're gonna look at this week, it, the more you study it, the more you see it everywhere. It's kind of like you drive a certain car, and then every time you drive out, you see, you see your car. Like, oh, look, there's another car, whatever it is, right? Um, with this topic, the more I studied it, the more I saw it. And it's, this, it's, this, it's the topic of anger, right, and conflict. Some of you are like, uh-huh, is it for you today? Fellas, going to get you, right? Because it's a, it's a struggle, and I'm not the only expert, right? I'm not the only one who, who knows what he's talking about when it comes about anger, Right, and I've told you before of my struggles with Duren. And on on Monday, I 
I'm driving home, but I'm doing well because I've just been studying anger, so I'm, I'm fresh out of this, and I'm doing patience, and I'm good, and I've learned how to maneuver that thing anyway, and you, the key is you stay right, always stay the right lane, because once you get past Abercorn, everyone gets left, but they don't realize you can shoot all the way up the right and then just jump in front of them at the last minute, okay? <laughs> so I'm doing that, and I stay right, and I get caught at the light, which is no big deal. But the problem is, it's, there's a right arrow, and you can stay straight. But you can also turn right, and the person behind me wants to turn right, and I'm blocking the way. And they're honking, and I'm like, I just turn around and wave. <laughs> and I wait my turn, and I go, right? Okay, and the irony is they went straight anyway, so I don't know what they're so mad about. <laughs> but the point is, I'm not the only one that has issues. Anger, it's a struggle. Something that's hard to define, but when we have it, when we, when we see it, we know what it is. Right, and and the truth is that some of you this morning, in all seriousness, you come in and and you have some anger. There is some conflict. Maybe this morning, maybe because you were late and now you're in video venue and there's been conflict. See, I told you we should have got here early. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's some deeper issue. Um, with, with, with a spouse, with a, with a parent, whatever it is. And so we're going to look at what God's word has to say about dealing with anger and conflict and, and how do we deal f- with it skillfully and wisely as we kind of look at the Proverbs. And here's where we're going. We're going to do a flyby on several Proverbs right up front, just kind of see and identify some things it says. And I want to spend most of our time talking about how do we deal with it? As followers of Christ, how do we deal skillfully with anger? So let's, let's just kind of talk about it. It's, it's an emotion, obviously, anger. That, that's morally a neutral emotion, okay? Not all anger is wrong. Now, when I say that, and some of you already use your, you get, you're, you're biblically oriented, so you're like, see, when I was flipping tables in the garage, I was just like Jesus, right? It says, be angry and don't sin. I wasn't sinning. God gets angry, I get angry. And we use that as our excuse, but the reality is this. Most of our anger, if not all of it, is not righteous anger, right? Yes. We are created with emotion. It's good. We're made in the image of God. We have a, of a God who has emotional capacity. And so anger is one of those things we, we, can do, we can feel. But most of our anger is not righteous. And, and you're like, well, what does righteous anger look like? When it's about God and his moral law and his will and his character and his reputation, when that's at stake and there's anger, then, then that's righteous anger. Right? When, when someone spills milk in the back of the mini, that's not righteous anger. Right? There's a big difference. And so when you see ISIS selling young girls as slaves, there's a righteous anger there because that is morally wrong. It is it's abhorrent to God. It is an abomination. And there's something that rises up in me. When I see this racism in Charleston and someone going in and doing this or burning a church down, something rises up in me where I'm like, that is wrong. When I hear about kids getting abused or a, a husband checking out and just leaving his wife because he's, he's got this new flame there's a righteous anger there, but that's not about me. That's not, it's your self-control there. That's not my retaliation. That, that's the righteous side, but most of ours is not. And, and overwhelmingly, when the scripture talks about anger, it talks about the sinful side of it and managing it and dealing with it, not the righteous anger that God has. So let's get our arms around it, okay? Let me just give you, real quick, four characteristics of unrighteous anger from the Proverbs, and then we'll jump into what it looks like for us. Here's the first one. And again, as usual, we're going to go back to these. You need to memorize one or two just to kind of have them in your arsenal because we're going to look at them quick. But here's the first one. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. 
And we can stop right there. When you are angry, you act like a moron. You do. Whether it's the you know, coach of the peewee soccer team who's yelling with the six-year-olds and he's yelling at the 14-year-old girl referee as if it's the World Cup and he's an idiot. And he looks like one. And he is. He's a fool. Right? He's a fool. Or it's this week. Again, I'm studying this. I'm at the gas station on Monday with my son. I'm filling up. I look over here. And there's these two, this couple's just going at it in the parking lot. That's super entertaining. But it's foolish. <laughs> it's foolish. Like when you get mad and your face gets all contorted. It's foolish. You look dumb when you say things and you do things that you will regret. You are a fool. And it's the opposite of wise. Okay? Quick-tempered anger is foolish. Next one. Here's, here's act foolishly. 17.1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting. The Hebrew word for dry morsel literally means a crust of bread. Okay? So moms, you get this. You, your kid's like, I don't like the crust. You're like, fuck, fuck, I don't cut the crust off. And you cut the crust off the PB&J. Imagine putting that on the counter and leaving it for a day, and it gets all hard. What Solomon says is this. It's better to eat that nasty, hard crust with peace than to have a house full of Ruth Crisp and shrimp and everything else, but there to be strife. Just, just that dry piece of nasty bread with some peace is better than just, just feasting, but yet there's, there's strife and there's anger and there's conflict. Why? Because angry people make everyone miserable, right? They make themselves miserable and they are miserable. Everyone, right? It's it. You know, again, child of the 70s and 80s, the old Hulk show, when, when Dr. Banner's like, do not make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. No one likes you when you're angry. Angry dad, angry boss, angry roommate, angry child. You make everyone miserable. Right? It's foolish. It's foolish. Next one. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. There's always a fight. There's always conflict. He is divisive. Angry people are divisive. They divide marriages. They divide roommates. They divide friends. They divide churches. They divide coworkers. They divide sports teams. They divide. That's what they do. And so later, Solomon says this, drive out a scoffer. Strife will go out. Quarreling and abuse will cease. The New Testament says the same thing. He says, a factious man in the church the guy that's fighting over the color of the carpet and the, this is this and we don't like this song and it was too loud and the light bulb should be this kind of light bulb, get him out of the church because he will divide the church. He'll start recruiting people to his side. We ought to be using this kind of light bulbs and they're using that kind of light bulbs. and Get him out, right? Because he divides. He divides. Next one. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In our day, this kind of image of a city with walls, we, we don't kind of understand it contextually because we have policemen and we have army and we have, you know, National Guard and all these things. But back then, the walls were the protection. If there was no walls, you didn't live in a city because it's going to get pillaged. It's going to get broken into. It's not safe, which is why Nehemiah has to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. But the idea is your anger, the, the lack of restraint, leaves you exposed. It leaves you vulnerable. It makes you weak. Anger, loss of temper, it makes you weak. You're exposed. You're not in control. 
Who's, who's, you're a weak one. Who's the strong one? Solomon says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit, he's better than the one who takes a city. He says there's more to being a king than being in charge. The truly kingly person, the truly strong person is the one who can control his emotions, who keeps them under control. That, that is strength, right? So Nixon, because he cannot control his, his anxiety, he loses the city, right? He loses the presidency because he's so worried about what they're doing. You see it all the time, a politician who can't manage his greed or his sexuality, so he's sending text off under some subname or he's, he's embezzling from something, he loses the city. It's the mom who thinks she has to just rule with an iron fist and control everything, and da, 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 and that child is going to rebel when they're 18, when they're out under that control, loses the city. We've seen it with the great athlete, right? The great athlete that's super gifted, but all you have to do is get in their head, foul them real hard. That's how I used to tell them as a coach, throw it at them, get them out of the game. Because winning's everything, right? But you get them out of the game, and what happens? They lose the city, right? They can't control it. They're out of the game. It's a guy at work. He gets skipped over a promotion every year because his superior knows, I cannot put more on him because when I put more on him, it gets too heavy, and he just wounds everybody around him. So I can't, he can't get promoted. He loses the city, right? It's the, it's the marriage that wants healing, but there's been things said. There's been things done. It made, made us weak, and it's out there even though it's been forgiven. Loses the city. It's the person who can take no criticism. Every time he's trying to say, well, you might have wanted to do this, it's like, oh, it's so personal, and they can't take criticism, and they, you know, I can't believe you don't like me. They lose the city because they can't control their emotions. Makes you weak. Makes you a fool. It makes you miserable. It's divisive. And then you could go on and on and on and on through the Proverbs and through the Scripture. The danger of anger. And it has a way of moving south so quickly and turning into bitterness, and just hollowing you out. It's like, it's like soda, or for, if you're from the north, pop. If you're from the south, it's Coke. Everything's a Coke here. Mountain Dew? Give me a Mountain Dew Coke. I mean, I don't know what that is, okay? But uh, Dr. Pepper's Coke. Everything's Coke here, but imagine a soda, okay? It's, it's great and sweet going down, but the nature of it is acidic. If you just left it in your mouth for 24 hours, it would, it would tear you up. It would eat the enamel off your teeth. It would make you raw. That's the nature of anger and bitterness. If you, just, if you don't deal with it, it's going to hollow you out, right? It's going to destroy you from inside. And this is the desire of the enemy. He hates you. He is against your joy. He wants to devour you. And one of the ways he is doing it is some of you are so angry. You're so angry. And, and so let's, let's talk about how do we deal with it, right? And I'm going to give you some principles. These are not rules. These are not one plus two plus three equals patient, perfect husband. That's not what this is. But these are just going to be some principles for Scripture, how to deal with the reality of it's going to happen sometimes. You're going to get angry. You're going to feel it, right? And, I, and again, taking these home, kind of applying slowly to your lives, because the goal is for us to not be known as the Westboro Baptist Church bunch. Right? What do you think about when you think about them? Hateful, angry. I don't think they're Christians, but some people would associate them with it. Is that who Christ has called us to be? No. Okay? And so let's just talk. Here, here's six things, right? And we'll spend some time in each one. Look at some verses. First one is this. How do we handle wisely anger? Is this. Is for number one, recognize the source of your anger. Right? What's the source? 
when you start feeling that anger bubbling up inside of you, right, it, it's like one of those warning lights in your car that just kind of shows up and you're like, whoa, what does that mean? In fact, on my way to church, it's like the Holy Spirit lit it up for me. A light came on in my car and it was, I mean, I know what the little check engine light looks like. I know what that one looks like. I don't know what, that, what to do. I'll check the engine. Yep, it's still there. But I mean, <laughs> but I know. But this one said D-R-L. And I'm like, okay, what the heck does that mean? D-R, is that someone's initials? I mean, what does that mean? So I get out the little book. I'm driving to church. I'm driving, D-R-L, daytime running lights. Okay, we don't need those. Throw that back. Throw that in. It's no big deal. Why do you need lights in the day anyway? Who cares? Right? But, I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? But the point is this. That's what we do sometimes when anger shows up. We kind of check the book, that's not a big deal, and we throw it away. And when the light comes on, it is a sign that something is wrong. Something is wrong in you. Because what is the source of your anger? You like to think, it's him, it's this guy next to me, right here, is the source. These, these five pagans that we have right here, this is the source of my anger. No, 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 it is, they are not the source of your anger. What does James say? What causes quarrels and what causes fights? Great question, James. Thanks for asking. It is not this, that your passions are at war with you. Your, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight. You do not have because you do not ask. Who does James say the problem is? The problem is you. And the problem is me. No, 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 it's what he said. It's what he did. See, when that anger starts rising up and that check engine light comes on, you have a choice. You are either going to participate in this conflict and this anger, or you are not. It, it's on you at that point, right? It's on you. What are you going to do? That, that's, that's the reality that we got to own as fallen, sinful people. What am I going to do with that check engine light? What is that DRL teaching me about myself? Right? And, and, here, and here's what it looks like. Let me just give you an example. Let me confess my sins to my brothers and sisters in Christ, because I got many of them. But let me just give you one. Right, so we're in California. We get off the plane in LAX. I got four kids. I got a spouse. We got 336 bags that we have brought on the plane. Okay? And so we're standing. We get on the bus. We go to the rental car place. I get to the rental car place. We're like 30th in line. Nobody that works in rental car places is in a hurry. Nobody. In fact, they don't even care if you rent the car. I'm convinced of this because they're just having fun behind the counter and talking. They're showing each other text messages. There's a line. It's 100 people long out there. They just want to get their cars. They just want to go to their hotels. They are tired. They are jet lagged. They don't care. And so they're just kind of having fun. Oh, I'm going to go to lunch now. Even though there's a line that's three hours long, I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to leave. And I'm standing there looking at my family, jet lagged, 337 bags sitting in the foyer, and I am mad. I'm mad at them. Because how hard is this deal? Fill the car up when you come back. Here's your credit card. Have a nice day. That's like 30 seconds. Why is it taking 20 minutes for each person? Why am I sitting in line? At that moment, I have a choice. Am I going to get mad? Why am I mad? Am I mad because they're not doing a great job? Maybe. But really, why am I mad? You know why I'm mad? Because I'm selfish. Because I'm proud. Because my time is valuable and I'm paying you and you should be taking care of me. That is why I'm mad. 
See, this is what James means. What's the cause? You're the cause. You are the cause. Right? You are the source. And we have to get to the point where we learn to see that. Because no one is forcing you to respond with anger. No one. Right? This is a check engine light. And what we need to do as Christians is we need to re- replace reaction with some reflection. What is, what is this? Why am I angry right now? Is this a five-minute problem? Is this a 15-minute problem? Is this a five-hour problem? Is this a five-week problem? But why am I angry? Why am I angry that someone left a pen in their pocket and we washed it and now everything has blue? Is that a, is that a big issue? Yes. But why am I so mad? Why am I so mad that my neighbor's dog has left a pile right in my yard? Why am I so mad about that? Why am I so mad that my spouse talks to me like this and no one at the office talks to me like this and no one ever would say that to me, but why? It's got to come back to you, right? It's got to come back to you. Why am I angry? Because you know what? You can't change much, right? You just can't. First service, first set of songs, the screen was off. We're all lip syncing. We don't know the words. (laughs) I can't change that. I can respond in an angry way. What's going on? What's go-? Or I can say, you know what? I'm not going to be angry about this. I have a choice. You cannot change, but you can be changed. You can. Conflict in marriage. I read one article by Lisa Turker. She leads Proverbs 31 movie, uh, ministry. She says that they don't, her and her husband don't call it fights anymore. They call it growth opportunities. <laughs> I'm thinking, that, that's a positive woman I don't want to be around. Right, but you cannot always prove your point and prove get your. But you can improve as an individual, and God is trying to teach you something about you. And so you need to know you. It's a time to reflect. What am I so mad about? And you need to know your tendencies. How do you manifest anger? Some of you, you explode. You're the you're the spewer, right? You're the you're the blow up. Everyone knows you're mad. I mean, your philosophy is all it takes for evil to prevail is good men to do nothing. So I'm going to do something, and I'm going to get it right. And that's your excuse. Others of you are the stuffers. You just kind of stuff it inside. You internalize. You put up walls. You 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 just ignore, and you kind of play the uh, we're not going to talk to that person anymore. You can isolate yourself in silent treatment, right? Or others of you, you're kind of the leakers. You're the passive-aggressive, just kind of a little jive here, pew, a little guerrilla warfare, a little pew, Wolverines, you know, kind of, you know, I mean, you kind of go in and out. That's you, right? I'm going to keep this for later, and I'm going to throw it back out. So you need to know what your tendencies are because that'll help you. Others, you just kind of go and cry for hours and hours, and that's your way of getting something. It's manipulative, right? Whatever it is, identifying yourself helps you, helps you grow in this and improve. You didn't know your triggers. Some of you get real angry after 10 o'clock. You're a zombie. So you don't need to have conversations after 10 about anything serious, right? Some of you getting ready for school, that's a trigger for you. You're getting the kids ready in the lunch and you just, you just need to know that. You didn't know your husband at the end of the month when he's got this long, big reports on Thursdays and Fridays and he's gonna come home, he's gonna be tired. You need to be aware of that, right? You're hungry or maybe there's a, a time in the month where there's a little, hormones a little bit different and you need to stay away, it's all right. But you need, to know, you need to know your spouse. You need to know your roommates. Look, yeah, I mean, yesterday, was it yesterday? I mean, Friday. Again, confessing my sins. 
you know, we go out to the, to the Lowe's and we buy some plants and we're putting some plants in. It's great. And here's my motto. Honey, tell me where you want them. I'll dig the hole. I got it. Just put them where you want them. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm just like, come on. I got four plants. I'm digging. And my wife is an artist, art major. She's, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I need holes. I need to dig. Just put it in a hole. Just tell me where you want them. I don't, and so I'm frustrated and mad because she's, oh, with the pink. Does the pink look next to the white? I don't know. I don't care. Just give me a hole. See, and there's, I'm angry. I got to go back and repent. But knowing the differences, do you get mad when you're packing for vacation? Just knowing other people, knowing yourself, it helps you to recognize the source. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, you need to stop, you need to pause, you need to reflect, right? It's on you. It's your choice how you're going to respond. It just is, right? So you need to recognize the source. Second one, you need to learn to communicate. You learn to talk. Right? Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. Real clear. Someone's attacking you. Why did you do this? And I can't believe you would do this. Instead of, well, you know what? What did you do? I'm sorry. You're right. I was wrong. Where, where do they go with that? Oh, yeah, you were wrong. I know. I'm so sorry. Where is it going to go? It's going to go nowhere. Soft answer. James 1 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. No matter how mad you get with your kids, with your spouse, with the guys at work, with the person on your team, with your neighbor, it will never accomplish good fruit, ever. You think you can control it. It will not produce good fruit. He says the anger of man, not the anger of God, but the anger of man never produces righteousness, ever. So why do we do it? We think it's going to bring change. It does not. It does not bring change, right? And, and so we got to learn to speak. Let me give you just a couple pointers. I kind of read a little bit this week. I read some ladies because I'm, I speak to guys pretty well, and the women are like, that. I don't get that illustration. I don't get the Red Dawn Star Wars stuff, okay? So I'm trying, ladies. I know that 60% of our church is women, and so I'm trying to read some stuff that will be helpful. But just let me, just some... Some helpful pointers when, it talk, when you're talking communication. Talk, deal with the issue, don't attack the person, right? You're always late, and you said you were going to be home at 5.30, and how am I supposed to plan a dinner? You always do this. You never keep your word. That's attacking the person. How about the issue? Honey, you, you said you were going to be home at 5.30, and, and, and you didn't call me and let me know that you weren't, and so we made this dinner, and it's hard to plan. Use desire statements. I really wish that you would just call me, just let me know. Rather than, you never do this, you always do this. That's, that's the harsh word. The gentle is, I, I really, I, when you do not honor your word, when you just don't call me, I just, it, it feels like you don't care. Because we're trying to make this meal for you, and we're trying to have a family dinner, and we never get to do this. And it just feels like, I feel like you don't care about me and these three hours I've spent dealing. It, it, it puts, it's a soft answer. I desire statements, I wish statements, Right? Ask questions. Ask good questions because a change of perspective sometimes, you don't know what this person at the office has been dealing with at home. You don't know if they just lost their grandmother. You can change a lot of things, right? A question like, can you help me understand? Man, this is a good one to ask. This was written by a woman, so this is why I know this. Uh, okay, <laughs> can you help me to understand why you feel this way? 
right? Because I, I don't understand, right? Um, how, can, how can we meet in the middle here? Can, can we agree to not bring in all these other issues? And, and we don't need to talk about my mother right here. Can we st- stick to the issue at hand, right? What, what is your desired outcome? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want to see? You're, we're arguing. What, what's the goal here? What's the end game? Just questions. Work on being clear with expectations. Despite what the culture says, men and women are different. They communicate different. They hear different. Everything's different. And that's the way God designed it. And so a guy says this, and a woman might hear this. Or a woman says this, and a guy might hear this. Happens all the time. Right? And it's good. It's actually funny if you think about it. This week, I'll just give another example, and this was not conflict. This was kind of funny. We were laughing at it. But my wife is making breakfast for dinner. Our family loves breakfast for dinner. She's making it. She says, honey, can you, can you cut the English muffins? I'm like, I can do that. I can't do a lot, but I can cut English muffins. I'm cutting English muffins. These look good. They're round. Perfect. Right? Cut them all. Light them on a plate. English muffins cut. There you go, honey. And then a few minutes later, she's like, honey, I asked you to cut the English muffins. I was like, there they are. Right there. She said, oh, no, I meant cut them and put them in the toaster and butter them. I said, well, that's not what you said. You said cut them, and I cut them. If you wanted butter, and you could have said butter, and, and I would have done that, but you just said cut. Right? But well, this is what I meant. And see, that's, exa- that's marriage 101 for single people, right? That's exactly what you got coming. Okay? But the po- and we laughed about it. It was funny. But the point is this. You have to be clear with expectations. Because how much of our life, the conflict is, is not clear. Oh, I thought you said this. No, I said this. And we assume that they meant this, and, all, and we just make assumptions built on, on false everything. If we would just be clear. Son, I told you, clean your room. That didn't mean throw everything in the hallway. All right? I wasn't clear enough with you, maybe. You're 13. I got it. But just be clear. Be quick to hear, not justifying, not trying to explain always, listening. Let them finish. Don't interrupt. Right? And then, they, okay, now it's your turn. You can talk now. Tell me what you're thinking. Go back to questions one. Okay, why do you think this way? Right? Downsize expectations. Some of you have too high of expectations for maybe it's your employees. Maybe it's your kid. Your 14-year-old's going to act like a 14-year-old. He just is. Don't think he's going to be perfect. There's only been one perfect kid. His name was Jesus, and he's not here. So don't expect your, your spouse to be perfect. Your employee, your boss is going to lose it. You cannot have such high expectations that you're always, because people will let you down. Your friend's going to let you down. And you're going to let other people down. So just learn to communicate in these things. Number three, nip it in the bud in the words of Barney, right? You got to deal with it and you got to deal with it quickly. Paul says this, be angry and do not sin. He's not endorsing anger here. He's not saying, get angry, yeah. He's saying, don't let it turn to sin. Don't let the sun go down. And the idea there is deal with it quickly, right? Deal with it quickly. Get, don't open the door for the devil. You don't deal with anger. You are opening your heart to the devil for him to just kind of come in and, and wreak havoc on your soul. So if you're married, deal with it now. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go right now. I mean, you might need five minutes to go take a walk so that you don't say things. You might need 10 minutes to go and get in the car and listen to some you know, heavy metal or something just to cool down, and then you can come in and ask yourself the questions from number one. Why am I angry? What's going on here? I don't, let's not be all super spiritual. Let's just pray, honey. Let's get right down. No one does that in the middle of a fight. And if you do, you can come preach right now. Come on. Because I've never seen it work. But get away, take 10 minutes, and then come back once you're calmed down so you don't say something you have to apologize for later. But deal with it now. 
right? And do not. This is the worst thing you can do. Don't go talk to your roommate or your uncle or go talk. Oh, can you believe that this guy did this? If you're a newlywed, do not call your mom. Mom, you wouldn't believe what this guy did to me. He's such a, I can't believe you let me. Oh, you come on home, sweetheart. You just leave that guy and come on home. I'll take care of you. Do not call your mom. That is the worst thing you can do. Because all she's going to do is have negative views of this guy now. And after, you're gonna, you guys are going to make up and repent, and it's going to be great. And she's going to be mad still. And Christmas, he getting nothing. Okay? So you talk to each other, not about each other. That's the key. And we need to do that better as a church. You got a problem with somebody? Don't, don't go tell someone else. And if you guys can't figure it out, call the church. We'll sit down with you, one of the pastors, or someone in your community group. Because sometimes, you, know, you need a neutral party sometimes. I get it. Because both of y'all are wrong, and you think you're not, and you think you're not. And you need someone to tell you, you know, you're, you're acting like a jerk. And you know what? You are too. You both are. So let's just talk about that. Because it rubs the edges off you a little bit. And that's good because in community, change happens. All right, next one. Admit your mistakes. Because let's be honest, you do dumb things. And so do I. All of us do. Right? I, last week, you know, I've been in an elevator with my kids so much. My kids love elevator buttons. And there's fights and who's pushing the button. And I'm always like, don't stop because you guys are going to push the emergency button. We're going to get stuck here and the fire department's going to come. And then, then it's going to go down. <laughs> and last week, I'm in the elevator all by myself. And I'm holding the bag. And I hit my floor. And the bag bumps the emergency button. I'm like... <laughs> Like, how can I blame this on a kid that's not in here? And they're like, are you all right, sir? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just accidentally hit it. Because we do dumb things. But just admit it. Own it. Don't try to cover it. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to who? The humble. So you yell at the kids and you lose your temper. You come back and say, you know what? You guys were wrong in this. I'm not justifying it, but I overreacted, and I'm sorry. You come back and own it. You know, I, I, I was supposed to do that for you, and I didn't. I forgot. I'm sorry. We forget. Own your mistakes, right? It's a soft answer. And, and if you have conflict with somebody, and they're 98% wrong, and you are 2% wrong, you own your 2%, and you be the first one. You pursue. Our job, whether we've been wronged or we're the wronger, is always pursuit. So what if they don't, I'm going to own my 2%, but what if they don't own their 98%? Then you've done all you can do. You've been at peace with men as far as it is up to you. You cannot demand someone else apologize. All you can do is own your 2%. And it's not so, well, I've done my 2%. Now you're on 98. Let's hear it. Come on. No, you do it because you're wrong, because you're humble, because you're owning it, Right? Admit your mistakes. Next one. This is a biggie. It's trust. There is just a ton about life that is not fair. It's just, and some of you are going through stuff. It's not fair. I, there's no other way to put it. It's, you've been treated unfairly. You, there's just, people are slandering you for no reason. You just don't know why. I mean, it's, there is a ton of life. But some of us, we kind of run this like low-grade, simmering fever with anger, and it, you know, just about life, maybe we're mad, hadn't turned out, 
this is not fair, you know, I lost my spouse or my kid is out doing this and they rebelled and we raised them right and I can't believe they're bringing shame to my family. And you run with this kind of low-grade fever and it just takes a long checkout line with why don't they have more cashiers or, or uh, an accident of 95 or a, a spilled glass of milk to just kind of let you go, right? Because it's just always under the, under the surface or you're just mad at God because it's not fair. Look, at I've done everything right and my life has not turned out and look at them and they're not even... And look, that, I don't have the answers for why. I, I just don't. And nor does the scripture. It doesn't tell me why this happened to you. But it, here's what I do know. Is that is the only response to dealing with that is to trust in a sovereign God who is ruling and reigning right now. A God who is sovereign over the Supreme Court. They may think they're sovereign. No, no, no. He is sovereign over the Supreme Court. He is sovereign over your marriage. He is sovereign over the government. He is sovereign over the universe. And, and just coming to a point where like Psalm 46, and I was just reading it last night, where it says, you need to be still and know that I am God. Not you, that I, is what he said. That I will be exalted among the world. I will be exalted in the nations. That God is ruling and reigning and that he is, is faithful to be trusted, even when you don't understand it. And so you have the life of Joseph. Here's this young, handsome, talented, just great kid. And his life is totally train wrecked by his 10 brothers. Train wrecked. He is falsely accused. He is thrown in jail. They lie about him being dead. I mean, his life is wrecked for 20 years. Right? And at the end, and when all of the whole deal works out, and you can read about it in Genesis, at the end, the, the 10 brothers come up to him again and say, Joseph, we are so sorry. We, ruined, we did all this to you. We know that dad is gone now, and you love dad, right? And, and, and you probably haven't done anything to us because dad was alive, but now dad is dead. And so we just want to tell you one more time, we are sorry. So sorry. And dad also said before he died, don't hurt us because we're really sorry. <laughs> and they're scared. And Jesse says, boys, he says, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. You thought you were in charge of this and it hurt and it was real and that was real prison and that was real accusations and it was bad, but God meant this wickedness for good. And you're alive today because of this. And, and that's what being still and knowing that he is God is. And I, it is hard, y'all, isn't it? I, I mean, you know, some of you know, it is hard. But God is sovereign. He is ruling and he is good. It's, it's Jesus before Pilate. Pilate says, don't you know? I can kill you. I can let you go. Don't you know that? Why are you terrified? He says, you have nothing that God has not given you. Everything you have, the authority, it's been given to you from above. And so what? And that is true. And Pilate then sends him to his death. So even D Jesus feels the, the jaws of, of God's sovereign will and being ruling and reigning. But there is something powerful about facing injustice and just trusting. It's a huge deal, right? And, and that's what being still. And some of us, that's, that's where we need to be, as hard as it is. And here's the last one. is we need to forgive. And this is deeply personal and deeply hurtful for some of you because when I talk about anger, you have a face in mind. You have some, there's an individual, a dad who was abusive, a wife who was 
emasculated you, a mom who left, uh, uh, some legitimate hurt, a boss that's abusive. There's a person, it's personal for you, right? And and some of you, we have folks here, and, and some of you, you don't really have that, it's not a big deal. Look, as a church, we have people who will be abused physically and mentally and sexually. I cannot fathom that, and I am not softening that, because I, I just it's beyond me. And we counsel, and we hear, and it breaks my heart. But the response as the Christian is still always to forgive and release. And some of you, that's so hard, and you would say, how in the world can I forgive them? Jesus tells a parable to explain how. And let me contemporize it a little bit. You got two guys. One guy sells his lawnmower to the other guy for $300. They sign a bill of sale. They set it off. Only he doesn't pay him. He doesn't pay him the $300. He's using a lawnmower. He's making his lawn look good. He's waving to his neighbors. Everything's fine. He refuses to pay the $300. And so the man goes to Jesus and says, what should I do? He owes me $300. He's got the bill of sale right here. And Jesus would say, you need to forgive him. Let him go. I don't think you heard me, Jesus. I got a bill of sale, $300, a lot of money. I'm angry. I'm right here. All right? How can you expect me to release him for this $300 I got right here? Big deal. He said, here's how. Because I've paid off your mortgage, and I paid for all your cars, and I paid off your college loan, and I paid off that $500 you borrowed from grandpa that you forgot about, but I paid out. I've paid it all. And that was a big debt. And this little $300 is nothing. Nothing. I released you of this so that you can forgive this. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave you. You've been forgiven from everything, so now you release. And that I'm not, I'm not making light of it, y'all. But that's what Christ says to do. Because here's where it comes down to. We were not the first to be wronged, to be offended. God was. God was the first to be angry and offended. And some people have a problem with an angry God or a God that shows wrath. But in itself, that is a hypocritical position. For some of us, I don't, I don't like a God who has wrath. I don't like a God who has angry. That's a hypocrite. Because if, if you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, what do you get? You get angry even though you probably cut someone off in your life. Someone talks trash about you and slanders you, what do you do? You get angry, even though you've probably talked trash about somebody. And for us to say that we have, we're entitled to be angry, but God, who is just and holy and has never sinned, is not entitled to be angry with sin, which is an offense to him, that is hypocritical. So really, when we say that, it, it's a hypocritical statement. We really don't have a problem with it. Because we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the foundation of the Christian faith is this. You were under God's wrath. He was angry. You were his enemy. And he is no longer so. Why? Because he poured out his wrath on his son. That Jesus took your wrath and his anger on himself. And he took that and he gave you his righteousness. That is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. It is the great exchange. You get his righteousness, he gets God's wrath. It's a good deal for us. And so this is what Paul says in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ 
whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word is a fancy word for meaning the satisfaction of God's wrath. He satisfied his wrath, his holy, righteous anger towards sin by, by substituting his son for you. This is to show God's righteousness. He's the just and he's the justifier. And so when we come to people sitting against us, the reality is this, that your boss, your spouse, whoever in your mind will never hurt and wound you as much as we wounded Christ, ever, ever. And if we have a a struggle and a wrestling with forgiveness, we need to come back to what God has done for us. Because if if we're like, I will never forgive, then it's quite possible that we have never truly embraced the gospel. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not complicated. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. You know how I know you can? Number one, because he tells us to. Number two, Elena Simmons, last week, stands in the face of her grandfather's murderer and says, I forgive you, on TV, a day after he was murdered. Stephen, standing there getting stoned, says, Father, forgive them. Louis Zamperini from Unbroken forgives the bird who tortured him for years as a POW. Corey Ten Boom looks at the guy who was responsible for, for atrocities and killing her sister and all these things and says, I forgive you. Because so many have done it because of Christ. I'm not saying you have the ability in yourself, but Christ has given you the ability to forgive because he has forgiven you. And so that's what we're called. And I know you're, some of you are wounded. We're going to move to worship. And here's what's going to happen. The men are going to come forward. We're going to celebrate the table. We're going to have a time of reflection for you to go back to step one and ask, why am I angry? Right? And if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to partake today. We want you to partake. But I would say this, examine yourself. Because if you have a grudge against someone else that you're holding, I would abstain. Because Paul says, don't come to the table in a manner of unworthiness, where you're holding grudges, and you're, and you're the symbol of our forgiveness, and you're not forgiving. And so if you know your brother has something against you, or you have something against your brother, if you got in a big old fight with your husband before you came, this, you have five minutes to repent, and then you can take, okay? Because we want you to have just a, a clean heart before God in, in the sense of, of your relationship. And if you have to abstain, it's fine. Abstain, and the next time we come to the table, you come. Right? But this is a time for us to reflect on the fact that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead of you. Right? And so some of you might have to go home and write a letter. Some of you might need to make a phone call. This is your chance to just kind of think, well, how do I need to respond? So you're going to hold the elements just for a few minutes, and then I will I'll come back up in just a few and lead us together as a body. And so let me pray. Hopefully the praise team will show up as I pray, and then we'll worship. There they are. Father, I thank you for um, your son, that the wrath of God was satisfied in his death and burial and resurrection, that we have forgiveness of sins because of him. Lord, this is a tough topic, and it's a real topic that we deal with every day. I just pray that we would just not be an anger group of people. Make us more like Christ. Let the fruit of the Spirit become evident, and may others see a peaceful, gentle, loving, faithful, self-controlled group of people. And that would be a great testimony to be known by as a church. As we worship, be glorified in Christ's name I pray. Amen.